we were struggling with answering those questions like what makes you different? What's your differentiator? What's your moat to keep somebody else from doing this? We took a hard look at the business and we discovered real opportunity finally to solve a problem versus selling a product. Welcome to the Women on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Sam Saperstein. In this episode, I'm speaking with Danielle Finkelstein and Thyme Sullivan from Unicorn. They have set their sights on changing the game and making period products available wherever you find toilet paper. I am blown away by their corporate career journey and how they pivoted to drive innovation in an industry that desperately needed it. I'm so excited to see Unicorn products in every bathroom stall. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Danielle and Thyme, it is so nice to have you both on the Women on the Move podcast. Welcome. Thank you. We're excited to be here. We've been binge listening to your podcast since we got invited. We are so excited to be in this gang of amazing, incredible women. So thank you. It's an honor. I am so excited to have you part of this gang. So this is going to be a very special conversation. I love what you are both building and your background. So I can't wait to get started and jump into everything. So let us start with your company, Unicorn, which was formerly known as The Organic Project. Tell us about the company and what inspired you to start it. TOP was an acronym for the Organic Project because we started as an organic period product company and we have pivoted and rebranded into Unicorn. But what inspired it is that I am a grocery geek. I worked for 27 years for Pepsi, for Coca-Cola, for Nestle. I spent way too much time in supermarkets, but going up and down the aisles for years on end, I just saw as everything was changing to organic and to sustainable and non-GMO and gluten-free and transparency became so important. Yet when you got to what is called the feminine care aisle and saw the period products, it looked like you were shopping back in the 70s. There'd been little innovation and nobody was talking about it. Then my daughter, who was 11 at the time, came to me and said, hey, I'd like to get some organic lip gloss. And I thought, my God, why are these kids talking about makeup and all food and everything else? But nobody wants to talk about period products. And the idea for Top was born. Why period products versus any other product that you could do for women, for girls? Was there something special about that category that really draw you to it? Was the opportunity there? Really, it was about how it can change the trajectory of girls' lives when they have access to products and when they're missing school or they're missing work. And the stat in the U.S. is one in four girls has missed school or work because she didn't have access to period products. So that was a big motivator for us to look at a category that nobody else wanted to talk about. It is really amazing to hear you say that. I don't think I've ever stopped to think about that in this country, in the U.S., that that occurs, that there is period poverty, as it's known. Did that surprise you when you both learned about that? Danielle, was that something that you knew? We didn't. So when we started, we actually, this was something we didn't know about. And before COVID, the number was actually one in five women and girls experienced some level of period poverty. Post-COVID became one in four. So really, truly what that means is that People are having to make decisions between their food, their rent, and all these other important things in their lifestyle for their families versus period products. So it becomes a true barrier to education. So if you think about a young girl who's at school, if it's one in four, that's 25% of the population here in the United States. But if you think about how long we have our period in a month, that's 25% of the time she's actually supposed to be sitting in the classroom. This truly has become that barrier. And this is one of those things that if we truly want to create change, equity is going to start in the bathroom stall. It should be provided for like toilet paper. We have the opportunity to truly create change by bringing it into the bathroom. So I'd love for the listeners to understand your relationship 
how you both came to start this company together, because maybe unlike many entrepreneurs who co-founded a company, you actually had a long history with each other. So tell us about that. I spent 20 plus years in fashion. I was at Ann Taylor Coach, Kate Spade, and most recently at Talbot's. I'd gotten to that amazing C-suite job, the job I'd always dreamed of, and I was completely unfulfilled. I was working in a toxic environment. I had sort of lost that love of learning and the passion and really where that purpose was. And my 24-year-old self would have been like, what are you doing? I made the decision to walk out at the pinnacle of my career. I walked out of my job. Thyme and I, which is the most beautiful thing, is we actually call ourselves the Triple Co. So we're cousins, most importantly, and we are co-founders and we're also co-CEOs. So when I left my job, I reached out to her to grab lunch. I knew she was also in a transition in her job. And so for me, over this lunch, she actually jokingly was like, hey, how funny would it be if we uh, if we worked together? And I was like, uh, I literally just left my job. I'm going to take some time. But this was five years later. And so... What has been absolutely amazing and honestly, why our relationship works so incredibly well is number one, it's built on trust. I mean, that definitely is the family piece built in here. But number two is we are perfect compliments for one another. I came with an amazing, amazing pedigree with sales and operations and supply chain. And that complemented then mine and where I came from as this brand building and this marketing background. And so it's really allowed us to focus on staying in our lanes as we're building the business and then hire into where we have those gaps. So I love the fact that you both have really such impressive corporate careers. You both worked at unbelievable brands and companies for so long, made a real pivot into entrepreneurship. That seems like a very fateful lunch. Tell us about that. So at the moment where you really started thinking, each of you, where am I going to go with my career? What do I want to do next? Connecting with each other at such a good time. What was that decision like for you both in your minds? Is it an easy one to do this together, just given where you both came from or no? I think the biggest thing for both of us was we were the breadwinners in our family. And so for the two of us, I will always say it was the bravest decision that the two of us made to go and do this because it takes a tremendous amount of courage to go from these high level executive corporate positions to then starting your own business. And we have learned through the ups and the downs, but I would say that that's actually probably one of the best things that we brought from our corporate life was because we are seasoned executives, we've been through ups and downs. We understand when business is good and when business is bad. And listen, we all had COVID. And so we were able during that time to figure out how to manage and pivot and execute during some really difficult times. And it allowed us to really be able to think about the business in the short term, but also really importantly in the long term. And more importantly, at that point, we were fundraising. And so also how it meant for our shareholders as well. I would love to talk about this notion of being a disruptor since that's what both of you are, certainly with this category. And I would say you apply that to your own careers and really taking a different course. What does that mean to you, Thyme? I'm interested in your perspective on this. When you came from an industry, many industries, but PepsiCo, for example, you were a disruptor there, only in a very large corporate environment. What does it mean to be a disruptor now in your own business? That's a great question because our mission was always to advance women in society. And if you had asked us a few years back if we were disruptors, we would have said, absolutely, we're disrupting the category. We really weren't. A disruptor, by definition, is more like an Uber, your Netflix, your Airbnb. It's something that's never been done before. When we started this company, we were much more of a challenger brand. We were challenging the category, challenging the transparency and the efficacy and getting access to better products for women. 
but we've actually evolved into a disruptor and we're incredibly proud of that. And it was probably the hardest decision that we've made as a company because what was happening is we were so incredibly proud. We had a successful Amazon business. We were in over 2000 retail doors. So incredibly proud of the base business. But as we were continuing to talk to investors and look at our business and look at our path to profitability, we really weren't that much different. And we were struggling with answering those questions like, what makes you different? What's your differentiator? What's your moat to keep somebody else from doing this? Besides us <laughs> as founders, we couldn't find something that was that much different than our box on the shelf versus somebody else's. And we took a hard look at the business and we discovered real opportunity finally to solve a problem versus selling a product. On our B2B side, we started noticing, and everybody notices it but doesn't talk about it, that there are places that provide period products in public spaces. A lot of places don't because the big metal machines are very expensive. They're difficult to install. They're difficult to service from the staff. They don't hold very much product. They certainly don't hold quality products. Nobody has coins and often they're broken and empty. And we were thinking long and hard about that's a real problem. And the solution goes even deeper. We spent the past year and a half, we've developed a low cost, low profile dispenser that actually goes in the stalls. So right where the toilet paper is, right where you need it, because if you really think about it, nobody's going out to the common area to get toilet paper. Guys aren't walking through the office with a roll of toilet paper under their arm. This is the craziest thing that we as women have never asked for basic necessities that, by the way, can be a barrier to job, school, work that nobody's asked for it. And the reception that we're getting from this has been really incredible, but it was a very hard pivot. We had to check our egos at the door and go kind of dark to develop this program. We had to go dark on social media. We were so proud. And you know, everybody thinks perception's reality. My hairdresser is like, I haven't seen you posting. Is your business okay? And I was like, oh, geez, our business is great, but we're kind of on the down low trying to establish this business. We knew we were onto something because everybody we talked to says, geez, I never really thought about it, men included. Really one of our big breaks came is this summer, Jamie Dimon on his bus tour stopped in Boston and we grabbed his ear. So everybody's asking about Bitcoin and world economics. We're like, we know you got daughters. You want to talk about period products. And he listened. We had a good enough elevator pitch and he understood as a father of daughters and granddaughters. And we made that list of follow-ups from the bus tour to have our products in every stall and every JP Morgan Chase restroom across the country. We need partners that are really walking the talk and putting action behind their words and have leaders that are innovative and interested in sustainability, ESG initiatives and supplier diversity and DEI and B, all those things. This is one of the basic needs. And he saw it and he was the very first one. JP Morgan Chase was the very first one to implement this program. And that's an incredible thing to do as an organization to help us to amplify our mission and our message. Well, I'm thrilled to be able to be such a partner to you. And I can say if you're getting on the list of Jamie's to-dos on a bus tour, it's definitely getting done. So you definitely approached it the right way. It is shocking to me too, as a female who've been using these products my whole life, that I never even thought how inconvenient it was to have to leave a stall to go to a wall and use a coin and get it. It's so simple and yet no one had ever done that before. So it's amazing that you took that incredible insight and I'm sure you're revolutionizing that client experience, if you will, in the stall, which is where I suppose it always should have been. Tell us more about the plan to get period products into every stall. What kind of logistics challenge, if you will, is this? 
Well, it's really finding advocates, whether it is in an organization, whether it's a university, whether it's in the public space, it's really finding those advocates and those progressive leaders who want to create change. This is such a basic human need that by bringing this in for your employees, for your students, for your staff, this is really our rally call is how to continue to find these leaders that want to be able to do this and to create this change. There's meaningful change that this can have. We can actually have a system change by doing this. You don't hear a lot of the conversation, toilet paper poverty. There are people that absolutely cannot afford toilet paper, but you don't have people out there fighting and advocating for toilet paper poverty. And we work with over hundreds of organizations that are out there doing the really difficult fight for period poverty. And they're amazing partners, but there is an opportunity to actually really, truly create that change. And that change can happen in the bathroom stall by providing that for all women, for all girls, and for anybody who menstruates. You definitely have never shied away from telling the story of period poverty or these products. I think you have taken a tampon suit or costume out and about many times. I'd love to know what inspired you to do that and what kind of conversations were you generating going out on the street or in public or with other people wearing a tampon suit? That was one of our big lessons. There may have been a tear or two sitting in a Wegmans cafeteria. We were running out of funding. We were not making traction. We said we have to do something big and bold, and we have to bring the fun back in. We weren't having fun. We were trying to do things the way that we had always done them in our corporate career and trying to follow that brand playbook that we had always followed. I found a really bad tampon suit on a Halloween website. I said, I'm going to run the Reebok 10K for women in Boston dressed as this tampon. I got the suit. And as I was driving through town, I saw this place that said, we'll embroider anything. And I was like, great. And I pulled in and these two dudes almost passed out when I walked in. And they were so horrified. Even when they finished embroidering our logo on it, then they called back. They said, ma'am, your thing is done. Ran all around town dressed as a tampon. And I had two teenagers who respectfully asked that I stopped running by the public schools. We were getting notice and getting so much response. I went with my friends. We got a bunch of suits. We went out for Bloody Marys. We had a blast with the suits, but it worked. We got noticed by the buyer, ironically, at Wegmans after the race. We got picked up by local radio, TV, Boston Magazine. And that's kind of what took it off. And it made us realize that everyone said, you can't dress up as a tampon. You're a CEO. I'm like, that's exactly why I can. We brought fun back into it and we started having fun again. Tell us what kind of conversations your products have really helped to create between mothers and daughters. What is the beauty of what these products mean to those relationships? I think that the biggest thing here around mothers and daughters, and really though also want to bring fathers into this as well. I think this is just around parents. This is about changing the conversation. It's about realizing too that this next generation, they blow our mind. There's no topic that's off the table. We're in this amazing day and age where they're just bold. They'll question and they're going to question because they want to create change. And so being able to talk about this and really be able to get this to them and see our daughters experience this through our eyes, they're doing things all the time with us. But, you know, Thyme's daughter, she's 16 years old and man, Josie is going to change the world. Let's talk about the products themselves. I want you to tell our listeners what makes the products different. Why are they better for people? Why are they better for the environment? How did you really think about just the nature of creating something new? And what do you sell now? 
I would tell you, especially because now we're talking about public spaces, when it first started and we wanted a box on retail, it was important that we were organic and sustainable and eco-friendly. Actually, funny story, when we launched, we launched with cardboard applicator tampons and we thought we would convert the world overnight. Talk about the needle across the record. Our own daughters were like, we are not using those mom tampons. <laughs> but we were so against plastic. And that was one of our big learnings. If we worked for a big corporation, they would have immediately made us purchase the plastic applicator tampons in order to continue to grow the business. We paused and scoured the planet literally until we could find a European manufacturer that made a plant-based plastic applicator. Fast forward to public spaces, what's been so revolutionary to the customers, to people in public spaces is if you've ever been in public, and you probably have, and you had an emergency, if you were lucky enough to find something, it was that box with that giant pad made of plastic or those tampons in the tube, they pinch, there's excess packaging, they're very low quality products. So our products that we're putting above the toilet paper are the plant-based compact applicator tampons, just like what you would buy in the store and eco-friendly. And then they are organic pads with wings. So everyone's saying not only are you supplying products, which I'm so incredibly grateful for, but you are supplying a better quality product. And when people ask us, this is a great question because especially with fundraising, people ask, well, who's your competitor in the space? Our competitor isn't anybody, it's toilet paper because that's what women use when they don't have anything else. Even our manufacturer said, this is so incredibly interesting because you're actually expanding consumption in the category, removing the barrier that was the old dispenser so that more people everywhere from a pizza place to a law office to a car wash can now carry them because they don't have to buy a thousand dollar machine and they can carry better products. Again, I think it's just because we didn't ask. What should women know about products of the past in terms of how safe they were? I mean, I really have never thought about the safety of tampons, for example, even pads for that matter. Should I be thinking about this? The issue here is that there is so little testing done on women, and that's a reality. A tampon is considered a medical device. It's just very, very limited testing. And so it's very difficult to say that, is this the reason why we are seeing so many issues with IVF and fibroids and all of these other endometriosis? We don't fully know, but what we do know is that when people use our products, we hear over and over and over again. We hear women say, oh my God, my cramps went away. My bleeding is less. This is not factual. It is definitely anecdotal, but we're hearing it over and over and over again from our customers that this is the case. And so it definitely has you pause and think about what was in those products that we all have used for years and years. Well, thank you for giving us the alternatives to that. I'm curious what your ambitions are for the future of the company. So let's say the next three to five years. Thyme, what's your goal for growth for where you want to be? For the past year and a half, we have been taking a film crew with us everywhere we go. And we are filming a documentary about the partners, the people, the organizations, the fearless leaders, the innovative organizations that are executing this restroom program before it's mandated. You're seeing so much more legislation about supplying free products in public spaces. This is going to happen. And the companies that do it first, we want to capture that. And that's why we tell everyone, J.P. Morgan and Chase has turned out to be so much more than a bank for us as founders, because it's this holistic approach to providing not just the banking services, but bringing us in as a customer and helping amplify our message with podcasts like this is incredible. The fact that the JP Morgan Chase organization can all hear this is incredible. What our goal is, is that within that time frame, that our daughters don't ever remember 
going to a restroom and there weren't period products available. I love that. Wonderful to get to. I know you will. Let's talk about fundraising, obviously a key part of building a business. Many challenges for women, for sure, not to mention women who have specific products for other women that maybe male VCs don't understand a lot about. Can you talk about the funding process for the company and what that's been like? We have a phrase that there's no fun in fundraising, and it is real. We had a summer, and we call it the summer of unlove. We spoke to probably at that point about 100 VCs. Every door was closed. And here we were seasoned executives and we're sitting across the table from somebody who doesn't look anything like us, who is a 26 year old male and not understanding really what we were talking about. What became so important for us was to finally find people who understood us and who could see what was important in what we were building and what our mission was. And it took one woman. This woman actually changed our trajectory. So Barbara Clark, we talked to her all the time. We had heard earlier on to focus on angel investors in your early stage funding. So we got an introduction to Barbara. Thyme and I are doing our pitch. We're like super excited. We're telling her all this. And she actually stops us in the middle of the pitch. And both of us are like, oh boy. And she's like, listen, ladies, you guys are both badasses and this is not coming across. She then spent the next two months with us helping us understand how we needed to pitch to investors, what the investors were going to ask, and then she opened her Rolodex to us. And that literally changed our trajectory. We ended up raising $2 million in that round. It just continues on from now. We're in the midst of fundraising again. It's different. It's definitely different, but it is not easy for female founders. Let's just be real. And I think that's the pieces that I'm and I say all the time, what we believe where our success can be. And once this business goes to where we truly believe it's going to be, that's how we're going to pay it forward is because we know how difficult this whole process is for fundraising and it should be fun. And the bigger part, especially for entrepreneurs and for founders, you are removed from the business for such a long period of time when you're fundraising, our time and energy should be put on the business and you're focused on, I've got to go raise more funds. And so there's this really difficult balancing act that does happen around fundraising as well. If this is for women, I think we hear it over and over and over again, that this is something that you kind of scratch your head and shake your head that it's still only 2% that is going to female founders. So Barbara, it seems, really played a critical role for you in three ways. The fundraising piece of bringing the money, but also really being an expert advisor to you in terms of how to pitch to other VCs, how to talk to them. And then thirdly, actually making those connections for you, all of them so critical. How can other women, or frankly, men too, play all those roles and help other entrepreneurs? It seems like it goes well beyond the funding alone. Absolutely. I think that's one of the greatest lessons that we learned through fundraising is that it's not about just finding an investor. It's about finding investors that can fill in some of your blind spots, can give you advice, can mentor you. And what I think is so interesting is that it does get easier, but I think the most important thing is you had a great podcast where you talked about women in fundraising recently, and it's about the fundraising ecosystem that we should build. So it's not just bringing more women into the investment side. It's also supporting more women entrepreneurs because everyone starts. And as we move on, we're going to mentor others and we're going to invest in others. And we do have to continue to grow this ecosystem because people do tend to invest in companies that resonate with them, that their mission resonates with them. And that was the biggest struggle is finding people that understood that we want to advance women in society and we weren't talking to the right people. We are no longer just taking investment. It has to be meaningful investment that understand what we're trying to do. I'm curious. We've seen so many stories of female founders out there who 
maybe down the line, something happens with their company. Maybe they didn't create a culture that everybody supported there. And I think sometimes these women just come under unfair criticism for maybe not being the model of a woman leader that we all think about. When you think about the kind of model of leadership that you want to have and what you've taken from all your corporate experiences and put into your company, what does that style look like? What's important to you? And what's the value that you're really trying to drive? One of the things that both of us brought from our previous roles too was really focusing on people's strengths. We understand where our weaknesses are. This is also something when you think about culture, when you think about really tapping into what's going to make people really tick and feel like that they're creating impact is when you lean into your strengths, when somebody focuses on, oh, you've got to work on this, you've got to work on this, you've got to work on this. I'm a huge lover of strength finders. I started it when I was 24 years old at Ann Taylor and have continued on. But there's a truth here is that when you truly understand, I say all the time, we're in the business of humans. If we really make people feel like they're being seen and they're being heard and you're treating them with kindness and respect and love, there is studies over and over and over again that you get the best results. And so when it comes to culture and building this, that's something that is extremely, extremely important to us. One of the things too is that as we have thought about our business and how we are doing things differently, we do all work remotely. And so that's just a challenge I think that so many organizations are dealing with. But we made a commitment a year and a half ago when we created this change and what we were going to do in the business is that we do a monthly offsite and it's two to three days. And we know what those days are and they're critical because that time is what you used to sometimes get in the office. This time is actually better than anything I ever experienced in any of my corporate world is you're letting your hair down. Everyone's coming down in their pajamas and grabbing a cup of coffee. We're making meals together. Some of our best strategic decisions, our creative decisions have come from those offsites. And that was doing something different creating a different culture than where we were used to and what we used to know. And so definitely the focus on our talent and what we think about, Thyme and I really making sure that we're hiring into where our weaknesses are, filling in those gaps and really rounding out this powerhouse team. And then the other is creating culture differently. Those have been two really important things. We spend a lot of time this year talking to our guests about ambition. So I'd love to ask you both, do you consider yourselves ambitious? And if so, how do you talk about ambition to your daughters or other women in your lives? Ambition is an interesting word. I would say that we call ourselves ambitious. I think that we're teaching our daughters to ask for what they want. But what we've learned the most, it's interesting, and this is a big topic for me, is everybody talks about grit and you don't quit no matter what and you fight through. And we were raised in that grit culture that we stayed in toxic work situations, toxic relationships, toxic environments. If a door didn't open, we would kick it till it went down. And that's not right. It's not about grit because it's more about endurance. It's about when you get knocked down, you pick yourself back up and you find the answer. But both Danielle and I stayed in toxic work environments as executives because we thought that chasing success and getting to the top tier of our career was what would make us happy. We put up with so much more than we should have. We're teaching our daughters that you're not a quitter when you try to push a door open and it doesn't open and you walk away from that door. That is the biggest lesson that we can teach this next generation is that it is okay to walk away and you can do things differently and you can make change and you just need to get back up and try something else. I love that. Thank you for that reminder and creating another structure that we want to see, not the same old structure. If you'd asked me five years ago, or again, you asked my 24-year-old self, I would have said that it was about getting into that corner office. 
to me now where success and where ambition, they really intersect is now it's about, I found my purpose. I never knew that my part two in my career could be so fulfilling and so amazing and so fun. I have the opportunity to impact women's lives and really create meaningful change that I couldn't do that in the fashion world. This is truly creating meaningful change. And that's to me, that's the legacy that I think about when I think for my daughter is they're watching this. They're watching what we're doing. This is what they get to experience and they get to see what we're doing. And again, the brave thing that we did by leaving our large corporate jobs, taking that risk for our families, and they're experiencing this day in and day out. Look, corporate America was amazing for the two of us. We were able to be, and we're sitting where we are today, but we are so grateful that this is what we get the opportunity to do right now. I feel very grateful for you both embarking on this journey and creating such wonderful products, number one such a great conversation and platform. Secondly, to be able to go out there and, and change the world this way. And it's just very infectious speaking with you and seeing and hearing your enthusiasm and vision for the future. So thank you. It is a pleasure to speak with both of you. And I can't wait to see all the stalls, with the unicorn products in them. Thank you for the time. It's great to meet you. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Thyme and Danielle. I'm grateful that they're making such strides in this industry and driving toward their mission to advance women in society. They are such a dynamic duo, and I can't wait to see what's next for them. The mission of Women on the Move is to help women in their professional and personal lives. Our goal is to introduce you to people with great ideas, inspiring stories, and a passion to make a difference. To learn more about Women on the Move and listen to the full library of this podcast, please visit jpmorganchase.com slash W-O-T-M. For JPMorgan Chase's Women on the Move, I'm Sam Saperstein. JPMorgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC.